0: We look at the churches around us today, and even ours, and see how well organized they are and how everything is together, and for the most part, everyone is on the same page with things. A lot of times when we talk about denominations, we talk about their specific beliefs, like the United Methodist Church has specific beliefs, so when you join a United Methodist Church, you're, you're saying, I affirm that your belief is good and that, that I'm going to stand by it. Same with the Baptist Church, there's. Faith is a little different than ours. And the same with the Pentecostal and the Catholic Church. Everyone's a little different. Now, if you were to put members of each one of those churches in one room together and ask them to agree on everything together, it wouldn't be so pretty. And in the early days of the church, I think sometimes that when we read the Bible and we read that Paul was writing a letter to a church, that that we have in our mind the the structure that is um, filled with people oftentimes of the same thought, but that's not the way it really was. The early days of the church were a mess. Paul had his hands full. In Corinth, he spent a year and a half ministering to that city, establishing a church. But the important thing for us to remember about that time there is this, that when Paul references the church, he's not referencing a building because those days, people met wherever they could. Church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means a gathering of people. So that's why when Paul references the church of God in his writings, he's not referencing the denomination, the church of God. He's referencing the people of God that have gathered together to worship. But it had to be hard. It had to be difficult. But it was not impossible And I think sometimes in our lives that that we look into tomorrow, we look at the tasks that are at hand, and we think about how impossible it is to perform those tasks or to achieve those goals. But I'm here today to tell you that it, it is not impossible. But there is a path that we as a people would follow in order to accomplish our goals. Today's passage of scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. The word of God says, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scholar Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you today and thank you again for this opportunity that you have given us to gather in your house. And Father, we ask that that you send your spirit in here today to be with us, to guide us, to direct us. And Father, I ask that on this day that you enter me of any words or desires that I would like to speak. But fill me with your spirit that every word I speak would be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, what does this passage have to do with any of the stuff I just talked about concerning the building of the church? Well, I think this statement that Paul made, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart, because he was already having the discussion with the people in Corinth about those things that we were talking about. The city of Corinth was established Uh, being a place of worship but not for our God not for who we refer to as the living God but for a lot of the Roman mythical gods that that you've heard about in your times, Zeus, Aphrodite those were their places of worship and they they were mounted or their, their statues were mounted their temples were built in the city of Corinth Corinth was also a very popular place And it wasn't a place of poverty, it was a place of wealth, but it was also a place of debauchery. Many who have tried to compare the city of Corinth with cities that we would be familiar with, like Las Vegas, say that they pale in comparison to the things that were happening there. So it's odd, or it seems odd, or at least a difficult task to me, for God to go into this city with one man and say to a people who have no knowledge of who he is, let's start a church. But that's what Paul did. And I'm going to tell you today that it is a difficult task to tell anyone to go do something that they've never done before. It's hard because they have no knowledge of what is to be expected. They have no experience with the things that they're going to encounter. With Paul, he had the people that he had to address in this letter who were creating factions inside the church that he had created because they didn't have a full and total understanding of who God was and how God's word was to be applied in their life. But those were the infant ages of the church as we know it. And they made it through all the years and formed the church as we know it today. Paul says, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. And I I think sometimes, you know, what is he referring to, the wisdom of the wise? And I think what he's saying is that when we encounter people in our world that are secular, they already have a wisdom and knowledge of their own that that they live by and they go by. And they want us as the church to go by that same teaching or those same standards. And that's fine so long as it aligns with the word of God and the character that he would have us show as a people. But when it interferes with our walk as Christians, then we are called to do something different. And this is where God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. You see, it is nothing for somebody in the secular world to show up for work or school or any other event or even a personal relationship and lie straight to your face. It's nothing. But to destroy the wisdom that that person has, what God says is this, we have to apply my standard to life circumstances. Thou shalt not lie, period. It's in the discussion. We do not do it. Well, what if what I have to say It's going to be hurtful to someone. Well, then I would question whether or not you really need to say it. Sometimes we think we need to say something, but really and truly it's not going to make an impact on anyone for the positive if we do. Just because we feel like saying something doesn't mean we need to. As a matter of fact, if you do say the thing that you're thinking about, it may very well just upset something and wind up destroying something that God was building. But there are times when we do have to speak words of truth to people so that they understand that we are people of integrity and we are to live by a certain standard. See, Paul was building a church. but we are building lives individually for ourselves or or for a community. And they're always going to tell us who we have to be or what we have to do. But I think it's a, a time that has come that we as a people, that we as a church stand up and start telling them who we need to be and what it is that they need to do, that we need to set the standard not just in our personal lives, but in our verbal lives, that when we are confronted in the workplace or the schoolhouse or or any other place that we go to, and they ask us to compromise our faith for the sake of their project, that we stand and say, no, we can't do that. I've had to do that. It's not comfortable, and it's costly. But it boils down to this. When I lay my head down at night, am I going to go to bed resting, knowing that I've done what I was called to do? Or am I going to bed at night knowing that I was just spending my life doing what somebody else had me do? But when we apply God's words to our circumstances, when we become more than hearers of the word, but but doers of the word, amazing things happen in our lives. Now, it may start a ripple that that people aren't accustomed to, and it may stir up some controversy, but you know what? When you drop a pebble into the water and it creates that ripple, and that ripple begins to spread all the way out. That is the impact that we have on people. But the thing that we don't really talk about is eventually that ripple goes away. Eventually, the turbulence stops. And eventually, peace comes because of that drop of rock into the water. Or peace comes because we as a people made a stand as to who we're going to be. It is destroying the wisdom of the wise one piece at a time. It's establishing God's kingdom here on earth as he attended And it's up to us to move forward in doing things of that nature. You know, last week we talked a little bit about Jesus and how he called Peter and Andrew to be disciples. They were just mere fishermen out by the lake city or out by the Galilean Sea and they were working on their nets and casting nets, doing what they normally do and Jesus comes walking by and says this, come to me and I will make you fishers of men. And I can't fathom that really happening to me. Because I take into consideration this, that I've already at that point established a life system, a daily plan that that i carry out and fulfill i've already established a career path and then someone comes along and says follow me i will make you fishers of men but that's what they did nothing one of the things that that i find so remarkable about that passage right there is this one that they got up and followed but it was Jesus' statement that came after the follow me I will make you fishers of men in other words he had no expectation of them leaving their nets coming into ministry and knowing everything that they needed to know See, part of destroying the wisdom of the wise is sometimes getting rid of old thought processes now Our society isn't like this today, but I can remember my dad talking about it, and I'm sure some of you guys can remember the old days in the workplace when the boss was the boss. The boss didn't know who you were, and it didn't matter so long as the job got done at the end of the day. The boss didn't care what you thought because it didn't matter so long as the job got done at the end of the day. That is not leadership in the way that Jesus taught it may have been effective in a day, but, but I think that it would have been much more effective had the boss took on more leadership qualities and led his people instead of driving them. See, Jesus brought the disciples together, not knowing what it was that, that they were to truly experience. And knowing that they had no experience in that particular way, but they were trusting in Jesus to make disciples of them. And he did and I think the first thing that we come to understand about the discipleship is that they did more than just listen to the teachings that Christ put out, and they did more than just read the scriptures. They became more than hearers, but they became doers of the word. But like infants, they they had to first take milk and and graduate to, to food, to adult food. One of the first things they did was the feeding of the multitude. Jesus knew what was going on, and I think that the miracle goes a little bit beyond the fact that that a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish were turned into a meal that fed a multitude of people. I think that part of the miracle that we miss there is seeing the teaching process of Jesus making disciples of men. You see, he told them to take the baskets and feed the people, he put them out in the streets amongst the people, not set up above them, not behind them, and not in front of them, but in the very midst of humanity serving them their needs. And I think that's the the first step in growing relationships in our lives. It is so easy today, and I am just as guilty as anyone else, especially as a parent, as doing this. Don't worry, I'll do it myself. Do we not do that? Because it is so easy sometimes to to look at the task and look at the people that you have around and say, you know what, they're not engaged and they don't know how to do that particular task. Or I can do it faster or I can do it better. And without engaging the people, I just go do it. But here's what happens when we do that. We're not giving that opportunity to that person to learn and experience God in a new and mighty way. We are taking that opportunity from them. See, leadership is more than about accomplishing the goal. It's about looking to the hearts and the souls of people and seeing within them ability and capacity to do things that that they don't know or understand that they can do. And then it's reaching into that person and drawing those gifts and those talents out. So that they become more effective in what it is that they are performing. So that they become more effective in their community. And so that they come to a a greater understanding of who God is and how he works in our lives. And see, Jesus was doing that when when the disciples were feeding the multitude the bread. He was giving them that first taste of what it means to, to help somebody, to serve to physically go out and be part of the community. And it wasn't long after that 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 as they gained more experience and more understanding that Jesus took the next step in their discipleship. And again, it's more than learning scriptures, but it's learning how to carry out the task that we were assigned to that particular day that time in our life see after some time had passed Jesus called all of the disciples together and he gave them authority to go out into the towns and the communities to do things to drive out impure spirits to heal every disease and sickness now I think the f- first thing I see there is that Jesus gave them something the authority to do these actions Authority is one of those words that's hard to really put into place sometimes because it can be used in so many different directions. Sometimes authority means, uh, as law enforcement, I have the, the power to take something away from you. It's a, it's a power to, to remove or give something. But sometimes authority is a blessing. It's, use my name, you can do this. And that's kind of what Jesus was saying to the disciples. Use my name to go out into the communities, to preach and teach. Use my name because they know my name. And heal those who were sick and cast out those demons. He was giving them the opportunity to expand on their experience. To expand in their walk with God and and to become stronger and more capable disciples of Jesus. And in doing this, I like the way that he set it up. He didn't just say, go out and do and, and let them run free, he's done what we all should do as parents or anyone who's in charge of anyone or anything. And that is to give specific instructions. And it even says that. That these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. So when they went out, they knew what to do and where to go. Jesus told him, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, does that mean that that Israel was more important than the other people, the Gentiles or the Samaritans? No, I don't think it was. I I think what Jesus was doing was here was giving a people a a, a starting point. The ability to, 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 to root their lives, to root their beliefs, And to have a foundation to branch out on. Maybe they weren't ready to go out to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. You see, the people that they were going to were already learned people of the Jewish faith. It would be rather easy to have a discussion with someone pertaining to something that they already have knowledge of. Had they went to the Gentiles, probably had no knowledge of what they were talking about. It would have been a difficult conversation. And they would have had to find different ways of of communicating to them so that they understood their message. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't cast them into the water where they were going to be sinking or where they were over their head. He sent them to a place where they could perform and excel and continue to learn as they prepare to go out into the world. I was singing a song earlier today. I've been singing it ever since I got here. And I kept looking at Linda and going, and say, we're not singing that song, but we might wind up singing it before church is over, but but it's on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I think sometimes we hear those words, and we understand them, and we hold on tightly to them. Because God has done for us what he has said he would do. That he has written his words on the tablets of our hearts. And as we as a people stand firmly on Christ's teaching, let us move forward into creating others would have that same stance to give them the opportunity to learn and experience to look into the parts and the minds of people and see opportunity that they may not recognize and draw that out and encourage them along the way to me that's destroying the wisdom of the wise to me that's putting God's word into action in our communities and in our lives and to me that's how we grow a family of God so that they can stand strong in the face of opposition and so that they can perform miracles by the authority given to them through Jesus Christ let us pray. Father God, we come before you today and thank you for this time that you've given us to come together. And Father, I just ask that for each and every one of us gathered here today to include myself challenge us in our walk. Help us to, to look a little deeper than just the words that we understand, but, but help us to apply them in our lives that, that we would be leaders of this community in good standing. Help us to, to be those leaders that will cause a difference in our community by standing on your word. And help us to have the insight and the patience to look into those around us who have gifts and talents that they may or may not know. And help us to draw it out so that we can build your community here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we close, just a reminder that the nominations board is meeting and or the nominations committee and we will meet uh, down in the social hall just as soon as the service is over. So may God, our father in Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy and peace.